welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have the pleasure of speaking to a dear friend of mine. Her name is Peg Tipka, and she is a PCCS professional clinical counselor with supervision designation. She's also a certified certified <laughs> hypnoanalysis and registered art therapist, as well as the founder of a growing private practice here in Northeastern Ohio. Peg invites individuals and families to see the crisis in life as an opportunity to pause, examine, and reassess, envisioning what could be for themselves and their families. Well, Peg, your mission sounds a lot like my mission, and that is helping families be the very best that they can be. And it starts from the top. It absolutely does. Thank you for having me today. This is so fun. It is fun. It's very exciting. And and I just know that our listeners are going to walk away with some knowledge, but also just the understanding that we're all just doing the best we can absolutely. every day. Absolutely. Especially after the last few years that we've lived. I know. Well, one of the reasons why I was really inspired to have you come and talk with me is that not too long ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually declared mental health in children and adolescents as a pandemic in and of itself. And I know that I have definitely seen the fallout um, from anywhere from the fact that these kids haven't been able to socialize, or now that they are back in school, some social anxiety of even going back, as well as just trying to find their way and and becoming more and more anxious and depressed and, and not really understanding why. So what do you think is one of the most important things that you would want a family to realize when it comes to identifying, for example, if their child is really going through something emotionally. And maybe as we talk today, we can even try to sift out what is just adjustment versus Mm -hmm. something that is maybe needs more intensive care. Yeah, that's a great starting place for what's normal, to use that word, adjustment, Mm -hmm. um, and what's clinical and needs intervention. I think that the important thing when I think about what we're seeing in kiddos now, but also um, the, the reality is uh, we're seeing it in, our, in ourselves also, Yes, um, that our worldview has changed. And whenever there is an incident or a trauma, in my language, yeah. um, that that interrupts what we know of as our worldview, which is how we think, belief, our core beliefs, um, how we interpret the world through our lens. That's really how we walk around and what our worldview is. People don't often think about that. I do all the time. Yes. Um, and then when we experience something alarming, disturbing, traumatic, um, that challenges our worldview. And so as adults... Here we are in this pandemic, right? Yes. Parallel processing with the people we're to be leading. And so... So true. Right? And so we're all experiencing the same thing. And I mean, I think back to the very beginning of that, that I mean, my, my frequent response was, I don't know. 
and I hope to find out, right? And yeah. it's like, I don't know. So it's in that space of unknowing that becomes disorienting that can lead to anxiety because anxiety is really when we're looking too far ahead of ourselves and depression happens when we're in the past. I, think I that love that kind analogy. of psychodyna- psychodynamically thinking. Not always because there are obviously there are other factors in that, but that's kind of how I think of the construct of that. So going back to that worldview idea is uh, this creates a crisis inside of ourselves and we don't often have the words for it because a trauma is something we've never experienced before that can't integrate into our worldview. So how do we help people do that? And, and you bring up a good point because a lot of times when people hear the word I've gone, you know, trauma or I've gone through something traumatic, they really misunderstand that that doesn't mean that you know, it's always a loss of someone that you love or an accident or something really, although the pandemic has been major, so I'm not downplaying it. But trauma can mean so many things. And we have to realize that it, it happens to us more than we actually realize. And so it's sometimes it's allowing ourselves to really feel the way that we do and try to understand it so that we we can get better instead of thinking, gosh, why can't I concentrate? Why can't I sleep? Why is my stomach hurt all the time? And not just, you know, parents go through those things, but kids do too. Oh, kids for sure do. If you think about, I mean, as a pediatrician, I often, when I work with littler kids and I try and explain the somatic or body type things that kids talk about when they're feeling disruptive, stomach aches, headaches, um, those sort of things. I like to think developmentally as how we grow and are born and we grow from our core out, right? Yes. So Yeah, so, it's a great analogy. So we learn how to sit up and then we use our hands. We can feed ourselves. Then we pull ourselves up. Then we, you know, but there's crawling in there somewhere. I mean, movement. Movement. But we, we operate from our core out. And so... Um, I remind people of that. Like we there's a disruption in this core. And and when and that's usually the origin of where we start to feel it too. I mean we've heard people say you know I have a heartache or you know I got that pit in my stomach. It it is. It it starts from the core as well. So I love that way to kind of visualize how we feel. Sometimes I'll say to kids, you know, do you feel sometimes anxious in your tummy or anxious in your head? You know, and that's like a way to kind of bring it to light for them that they realize that, you know, this could possibly because especially in in my practice, I always have to think of all the medical reasons first before I think, could it be stress, anxiety or a crisis? And those are sometimes uncomfortable questions, even for me. Yeah, I you know, totally ask. understand that. You have your lens and then I have my lens. Mine is the social emotional lens, right? And yours is the medical. And I, when when families present with a kiddo who has stomach or headaches, I mean, I always have to say, like, you, first stop is the pediatrician. We got to rule all that stuff out, right? Yeah. And then we can talk about, okay, is this, is this a sign of stress? And um, I think as adults, we we forget that kids are growing beings. We're all growing beings all the time, but they don't have the cognitive ability to name 
what it is that's going on. Mm -hmm. They can't name their feelings. And interpret this stomach ache actually means X, Y, Z. You know, it's a, and so my work, particularly with kiddos that I love, um, (laughs) is teaching them about how their body informs their experience and then how to connect up to their head. Because it starts with the thoughts. Right. Right. Sometimes, but it, for kiddos, it they, can start with their body. Right. And they haven't figured out what was the thought that brought me to that feeling that made me feel this way exactly. in my in my body. And I mean, I'm just learning that whole concept as an adult. I can't even imagine trying to explain that to a child, but realizing that that's that's where it starts. For they them. get it. And back to that idea of core, right? We don't mm-hmm. we don't come out talking. <laughs> <laughs> We don't come out analyzing. We come out growing from the core out. And so my work that I that has evolved over the years really we t- we hear a lot more in my field about somatic therapies. And I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. It just I didn't know. have the fancy name now, right? Because it's it my job is to get into the world of whoever comes in front of me and understand what understand what their experience is like, mm-hmm. what is uncomfortable and not working right now and where they want to go next. And so, but with kiddos, I love that work of being able to identify and then translate to parents, you know, because so often as parents, it's, you're fine, let's go. I got to be at work or, oh, yeah. you know, oh, you know, you're being so fill in the blank, so dramatic. And what we're being is dismissive to their reality. Yes. And because we're so caught up in ourselves that, you know, we can't step down to their little person level. (laughs) That's one thing I always say to parents. Like, if you have a six-year-old, get on your knees and look them in the eye. Oh, that's a great, that's great advice. Because when we're up here, you can't see me, but (laughs) when we're standing (laughs) up, um, you know, where do kids exist? They play on the floor. They lay on the floor. Get there with them. Mm-hmm. You know, get there with them. See their world through their eyes. You know, it's like when you when you first have a baby and they tell you, crawl around to see what they see. Light sockets, sharp corners. It's the same thing. It's but it's about knowing. Okay, what does my kiddo see? How do I? How can I join them in their world mm-hmm. so I can understand and then either learn myself how to intervene or engage someone else who can help us learn how to intervene to help this kiddo. And because I know even as a parent, I think back and, you know, if something's wrong with my child, emotionally or physically, whichever it may be, I either want to fix it or like you said, dismiss it. And, and it's really an unconscious, you know, um, Thing that we do where we're just like, you want to, you feel like you're reassuring them by saying, you're okay, it'll be okay, but you're really not listening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we either want to fix it. And a lot of times it's really about just listening and, and like you said, getting down to their level mm-hmm. and, and really just being with them and letting them. When I talk to parents, I sometimes say, look, and I'll, I'll look at them both, like let's say a teenager, for example, and, and a parent. And I'll say, you know, your parents are your greatest teachers and guide, you know, guides, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe, yes, that's true. Right? That's true. If I know them well enough, yeah. then I'll say it. And so, 
what I try to tell then parents is when they come to you, don't, don't be reactive yeah. because it's so easy for us to be reactive, whether it's because I know a lot of kids don't even want to say anything to their parents because they're afraid they're going to worry and they don't want to be a burden. So common. And so I tell them, you know, you, you can't, it's okay if you're sad or you're mad or angry or upset, you know, you need to have an adult that you can turn to. Well, and that's a really good point. There's so many things I'm trying to to pause on all of them, but an adult to turn to. And so I always tell parents and I try and invoke this in my own children. Yes, I am the leader, right? However, you know, when you say that it starts at the top, but children need at least five adults that surround them that they can identify that mm-hmm. if I can't go to mom or dad, who can I go to? Yes. And so from the get go, like surrounding your children and developing those sorts of relationships that your child knows it's not just mom or not just mom or dad, or I have these other five people that I could potentially go to with really hard stuff, because especially teenagers, you know, I mean, they have a tendency developmentally, who do they turn to? Their peers. Oh, great. Right. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes great. Sometimes a whole hot mess. Yes. Because (laughs) because they're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. Everybody there, even their friends' brains are still developing. Right. Until 26. And honestly, our brains are always developing. Right. Yes. But for sure, um, the frontal lobe is developing until we're 26 years old. Think about all the decisions that we make between. 14 and 26. I know. What? I know. Right? For sure. That's why when I see kids, not to get off subject, that say, you know, I don't know what I'm going to study. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It's totally okay. For sure. So back to that idea of, you know, kids not wanting to bring stuff up because they're afraid their parents will, will worry. Then we've got a system issue, you know, a family system. And when families come in front of me, I say very direct. I'm a very direct person anyway, but I say very directly to them, I understand what you know now is that your child is struggling with X, Y, Z. But what I know is that your child exists in a series of systems. Uh, The first that they knew is your family system. And so when you walk into my office, I am not just looking at your child and what is going on with them. I'm also looking at their systems that they're attached to, family, school, spiritual systems, friend groups. And so I'm real clear with parents, you have to be comfortable that I'm going to be looking at systems and listening for what, for the the things that they say, the subtle things that they say that give me clues that there's perhaps a disruption in a system. And then we work through that too. And so I think it's really important that that people, uh, that parents know, a lot of the times when kids show up with stuff, it is, uh, there is something going on in the family system and they become sort of the symptom carrier. And that's hard work and sometimes parents aren't ready for that and I try and say it as gently as possible, but I invite them to realize that they can make small changes in their world that are really going to impact this kiddo. Yes, one small change can make a big difference. Absolutely. It absolutely can. And, um, you know, or school systems. I mean, I've sat with kids and then parents and then sat in in um, 
meetings with educators and administrators Mm -hmm. and said, hey, this is what I know that this kiddo is telling me. This is what is potentially happening. How can we make a shift to support this kiddo in in this what environment they're going through. that they're they're in for seven to eight hours a day? Right. right, right. And so, just standing in the gap for parents who maybe don't have the language and can't coordinate all of that stuff because they're so worried about their kiddo. If there's, know. you know, so what what are some signs that you might be able to share with families? You know, I mean, we talked about the stomach ache, the headache, sure. but what are some other things that they should be looking for? Again, you know, maybe it's just adjustment versus something that is truly clinical. But there's so often in my practice where a child will share with me, and I know I'm going way out there and in, in, in suicide, yeah. and the parents, you know, and I'll, I'll, you know, with confidentiality, I will say, look, this is something we need to yep. talk, but we'll do it together. And, you know, we have a, a, a system um, and they're just blown away. They mm-hmm. had no idea. And I would say that doesn't happen all the time. But, well, but we're all experiencing it more and more. Yes. You know, we're seeing and hearing of it more and more. And not necessarily the act, but the thoughts, the ideations is what we call it in my field. Yeah. The thoughts of what if I wasn't here? Mm-hmm. Would people notice, you know, and that questioning of really like what's going on inside of me? Like kids can jump really quickly to that. And that's really scary for parents, for sure. But some signs of stress um, in children, we talked about headaches, upset stomachs. These are probably littler people. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not, though. Yeah. Um, chest pains, heart palpitations, increased heart rates insomnia, not being able to go go to sleep, um, having worries at bedtime or wanting to do kind of a brain dump at bedtime Mm -hmm. where, you know, they're up and out of bed or they start feeling big things at bedtime and you're finding you need to sit down with them to help them process through things. That means they're carrying a lot. And then when they start to relax, sometimes kids become uncomfortable, then they might have racing thoughts. And um, that's a clue that they have stuff going on for sure. Yeah. Um, nightmares. Mm-hmm. Sometimes kiddos will regress to bedwetting. Oh, yeah. Especially if they've, they were completely dry for a while. Mm-hmm. And then that's a new thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think it can also be a bedwetting can also be a sign of abuse in, in mm-hmm. kids too. Um, decreased appetite or comfort eating or binging, mm-hmm. um, pretending to be sick to avoid activities. So those are some of the things that we see. Very early on in my mothering career, I had someone who was a frequent flyer at the nurse. And I didn't know about it until I went to conferences. And they were like, you know, so-and-so has been visiting us. And I'm like, okay, hi, I haven't gotten a phone call. Do you right. think my, how, I don't remember how old they were, is going to tell me that? And so I was like, why, there should be a note that goes home in the kiddo's backpack. Like, yes, came every time with a they stomach go. Ache, came with a stomach ache, came, so that I can know when to intervene. Because right. again, seven to eight hours a day, they're in somebody else's care. Yes. I don't know what's going on, right? You know, unless they told me. So then we were able to sort of noodle through. All right, well, what's really what's happening here? Right. Um, and then help them problem solve. So and strategize. Like, what coping skills do you have? Like the nurse is one thing. 
I can't be picking you up every day. <laughs> I know. I know. And you can't miss school. Right. You know, school avoidance is School avoidance. Is absolutely. So some of the emotional symptoms of stress in children are anxiety, mood swings, restlessness, mm-hmm. um, clinginess, mm-hmm. following from room to room that's not really age appropriate, um, or regressions in any kind of those ways, um, new or reoccurring fears that you're hearing them talk about, increase emotions, crying, anger, stubbornness, or aggression, decrease concentration or motivation, overreactions, emotional overreactions to minor incidents where you sort of take your, you know, it's like a take back of like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, where maybe they could respond to something and it wasn't as um, a big deal, but all of a sudden now it's become a big deal. Now it's a big deal, sort of like a fuse being set off. Mm -hmm. And we know that, some of us know that for ourselves, right? You know, if we're having a stressful period or just a heavy day and someone says just the right thing to you. Trigger. Trigger, we might lose it, right? Kids are the same. I've been there. And, And children are the same way. And sometimes as adults, we don't give them that grace to know. No. like, And to be able to see what are they trying to communicate to me? Mm-hmm. So not just, I think as, as adults, we're real good at trying to contain behaviors, again, sort of and dismiss and fix. But what is their behavior trying to say to me? Like, that's how my mind always works, which might get a little annoying in my house, but <laughs> you have to have my three kids on later. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. Right. But I'm always like, all right, what is like, happening here? What is happening underneath that's driving that symptom or that behavior externally? What's that root cause? What is the root cause? I'm all about the root cause. That's why I do hypnoanalysis. So um, because I want to find it. And that is sometimes ingrained in our subconscious. And it's a reaction one time. And then it's like a triple allergenic effect where it, it, it amplifies the more we're exposed to a similar experience. And then that becomes the way, the pathway of which we react and behave. That's a whole other podcast, but yes, um, I would love that. (laughs) What do you find? Do you, so sometimes when I really, and now of course I want all of my patients to see you, but but what do you, what do you tell families um, or even kids, you know, either way, so many times the, the child at any age is just like, I'm not going to go talk to a complete stranger. I'm, I'm not comfortable talking mm-hmm. about, you know, so if they're not comfortable telling their parents, you know, then it's, it's sometimes hard, but I know for a fact that, you know, yes, I mean, I, I try very hard, you know, to look outside of medicine in regards to how to how to help people. And, and realistically, you know, we talk about, you know, just lifestyle changes that they can do that will, will really change how their mental health feels. But I know that some will need to, to speak with a counselor, um, and their, or therapist and how do we help them, you know, go along with it, so to speak? That's a good question. I had years ago, um, a parent said, that same thing. Cause at a certain age, I meet with parents first before I bring the kiddo in to see if, if I think we're going to be a good fit. Cause it's about fit. I mean, that's yeah. something that I get to decide in my field. Like it, it, do I feel like I have the skills to be able to help 
whoever it is that's sitting in front of me? And do they feel like they'll be able to work with me? So usually we do kind of an initial consult and the parent said, okay, how do I, how do I describe that? Like we've decided basically the adults in the room have decided, yeah, this kiddo is a little more than just a developmental stage. We need to invite some help. How do I talk to them about that? And so we noodled through it. And when they came back with, I'm thinking, I don't have the exact picture in my brain of who it was, but I remember the conversation. Um, and when we sat down, they were like, well, I just described a so-and-so that you're kind of like a feelings doctor. Oh, yeah, I like that. Right. And so then I make the bridge for them and I coach parents to make the bridge like, okay, so this person, you may not know now, but at the beginning of every school year, do you know your teacher? No. You don't know your teacher. Do you know your buddy who you met in class? Do you know their parents? No. No, those are new new adults and new faces, too, that are still helper people, right? Yes. And then make the jump to, oh, you have a guidance counselor at school, right? Oh, yeah, it's so-and-so. Okay. So they do that within the context of school, and I do something similar in the context of you, your own mind, your own body, and then also in your family system. And that's kind of how I introduced what I talked about earlier about this idea of looking at the systems of what's working and what's not working. It's like a mechanic for people's well-being. That's right. I love I love that expression. You know, did, did you first, I'm, I'm definitely going to use that because I, I just find that wall and that roadblock, uh, not, not as, not so much as a parent, but you know, my kids are older, but as a, uh, those are totally different roadblocks when they become adults. But Absolutely. when, um, <laughs> just in my practice, you know, when I know it would be so helpful for them. And I feel like too, is I try to explain to them too, look, cause sometimes they'll come back and they'll be like, well, I went once and <laughs> it didn't help. And I'm like, okay. Right. So, so I, because I heard that one time, I try to tell them, look, they're getting to know you. You're getting to know them. It's going to take time. Yep. This yeah. is all about building a relationship. And we spend a lot of hours in clinical training talking about building rapport, unconditional positive regard, building that relationship. And, you know, we want to build as positive a relationship with each person that walks in in front of us. And, you know, that also means we work on ourselves in relationships a lot um, because we have to, to be able to get our own stuff out of the way, to be able to sit in the room with people's pain. Well, and, and we have talked about this, you know, for parents or any caregiver, it could be, you know, grandparents raising kids or, or grandparents taking care of kids or, um, whoever is responsible, I should say, you know, in, in raising, um, the child or the adolescent, mm-hmm. we have to take care of ourselves first. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, and I love that idea that this is a system, you know, and, and the family system is a huge part of it. And so we're not going to be able to help this child unless we find out what we need. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not meant to make anybody feel guilty. It's just realizing that don't be afraid to get the help that you need too. Right. I think that so often we are in that fix it mode or, you know, this idea that my child has to be this thing or this whatever, fill in the blank. And if they're not, how do I make that happen? 
which is probably a whole nother podcast. We have like all these spinoffs <laughs> happening right now. But um, looking at ourselves first, it's just like when you're flying, you just got off a plane, so did I, um, you know, uh, put your oxygen mask on first yes. before you help the person next to us. We forget that as adults. And, you know, one of the things that, that I hear a lot from teenage and teenagers and teenage parents is, well, this works for me. So here you go. Well, that might, might not always be the case. And so when you talk about fixing it, you know, like <laughs> so many teenagers are like, oh, I just sit and the life lessons start. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like the, the lecturing and the, a lot of words. And so I will say to parents, the number one thing you need to do more of is stop talking. Oh, yes. Stop talking. Close your mouth. You have two ears and one mouth. Start yeah. listening to your children. Get on their level. Get into their world. Try and understand. And as that happens, our own stuff starts to pop up. <laughs> well, and two, if we if we do that, realize that kids aren't going to tell you everything all no. at once. You know, you might nor say, should okay, they. No. We don't want to know all the things. Stop. <laughs> I, that's so funny that you say that because I remember there have been times where my kids would come to me because I would say, "Come to me with anything," and then they would start, and I'd want to put my, you know, when you put your fingers la, la, in your la, ear la, and you go la la la, la. <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, wait, get a grip." Yeah. Right. Get I remember having a very distinct conversation with my oldest saying, just because the thought goes through your head does not mean it needs <laughs> to come out of your mouth with your mother. <laughs> but we don't want to discourage them right. either, because I also remember just thinking, oh, they're talking to me, period. Right. So I'm going to. I'm just, I'm going to listen right. and not respond because then if I say, well, you shouldn't do that, or I can't believe so-and-so did that or, you know, whatever, then they're going to be like, I knew I shouldn't have told you. Yeah. Judgments and expectations. And so we get lost in the land of judgments of shoulds, coulds, ought to, and expectations uh, that go follow right between, but so right behind true. that. Yeah. And of course, we want to have healthy expectations for our kids, but as they grow up, they get to, to define what those expectations are. And that's hard for parents to kind of walk alongside them and know, okay, I have set these guardrails up for you. And the expectation is you're going to live within them. And then when you go outside of them, there will be consequences for right. that. Um, and, and, and be that, that, but still invite to be that sounding board. Like, I don't want you not to tell me when you go outside the guardrails. Right. And if you can't, who can you tell? Who can you tell? Again, those, those other supports. Yeah, those system. other supports. The other thing that a very wise man and teacher of mine years ago said what we get wrong is we are human beings, not human doings. And we get hmm. stuck in the doing part. Mm -hmm. And as parents, that doing, the fixing, the providing, all of that. So to be able to shift and just be, to be with your kiddo, to be with yourself and ask yourself, well, what, what do I need? What do mm -hmm. I need right now? Yeah. I need a break maybe, or I need you know, some space or some time or I need to connect with my child because I feel disconnected and just owning it and saying, you know what? I know I've been really busy. Sorry, I haven't been able to see you. Like, what's going on? Or let's do something. You know, teenagers like to do things mm -hmm. um, kind of shoulder to shoulder, like walk through the world together. Like, so, you know, jump in. If your kid loves eating wings, take them out for wings. Mm -hmm. Provide the environment, you know, and that they can 
maybe relax and open up. Yeah, and then listen. And listen. And like you said, don't judge, um, and which is hard. It's hard to do. Well, and we often don't even know we're doing it. No, um, usually it is a it's totally an unconscious. unconscious thing. It's an it's a projection of what our own worldview is. And so back to what we started as, like we're trying to understand our kids' worldview and where life around them is bumping up against that and they're growing in their own to change, right? Yes. But we have to be able to understand theirs in order to to help. To help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I I am thinking back of memories yeah. when before the kids could drive how I would love driving them and their friends and listening to the little conversations in in the backseat. And, and it brought me such joy, but it also, I learned a lot Mm -hmm. too. Uh, One is that their interactions with friends and, and, you know, and getting to know the friends. So it was really good, but it, it was, I always had to really resist, you know, talking to. So I, that, that was a great way for me to practice listening was just driving. And and I remember too, sometimes we would just be in the car and many times if it was just one of my sons and myself, myself, I would take the opportunity to try to talk and listen because they can't walk away from me. (laughs) Captive audience. right. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. I know um, before my oldest, Went away to college. We had a multi-day, multi-state. I can't believe he's in college. I know. Multi-day, multi-state road trip. And I just remember driving through the beautiful mountains of Idaho and thinking, I'm never getting this time back. And then I had another experience with my next kiddo driving from Northeast Ohio to Florida and thinking the same thing. And just how awesome that time is because once they are behind the wheel, you lose that, what you were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. You lose that space of that insight into the world. So you have to make time, right? And that's hard because we're so busy. We are busy and they're worth it. Oh, they are. And so are we, right? And so to say, hey, you know, twice a month, pick something, pick a thing, whatever it is, pick a thing. Um, and I'm going to go do that with you. Just you, mm-hmm. just you. And that building of that relationship and that rapport with them and entering their world. Mm-hmm. And they may be like, you know, I don't want to give you two hours. I have to work. I have school. I have uh, all the stuff. I have a girlfriend, I have a boyfriend, whatever. Okay. But I, I want this. This is how we're going to do it. We're yeah. going to do it. So <laughs> it's okay yeah, and, to set limits with your children, by the way. And they're not going to, they don't regret it. No, no, you, neither of you will. Yeah. And, and I think too, it goes along with whatever age they are, because we know that anxiety is starting so much younger than it, it used to, or what I used to experience. And yeah, sometimes it is again, knowing what their environment is, what are their systems and, and listening, but also, and getting down to their level. I love all these tools that, that we've gone, that you've, presented and I'm definitely going to feel like I'm going to be better at helping my families uh, that I care for. But it's also having time where it's not about, you know, if, if all the time we spend with them is saying, did you clean your room? Did you do this? Did you do your homework? You know, all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about outside of that. Yeah. We're talking about relationship building. And if we don't know how to do it, start with yourself. 
how do you spend time with yourself? Can you spend time with yourself? I mean, the 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 pandemic pause that we all lived in mm -hmm. caused a lot of unrest in people because they're human doings. And this idea of being human beings and pausing and being able to sit with yourself and sit with others has brought, brought some disruption in people because we don't necessarily know how to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know how to slow it down and press pause. And it was a forced thing, right? We were forced into our homes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Some of us. I mean, we were still working with people, but. Um, yes, but it, it was a real thing. It was a real thing. And it was disorienting. And we had and some of us are still trying to figure that that out. Um, yeah. But I will say if there's one thing that I did love about being forced to be at home, we, we really made the most of our family time. Mm -hmm. And I know, again, if it's uncomfortable, then there's there's something that, like you said, we need to look inside ourselves and figure out what do I need to do to care for myself so that I can care for, right. um, for others. Growth and, comes in those spaces of being uncomfortable. Oh, we yeah. feel uncomfortable and we want to dismiss it. Mm -hmm. But if we can remember, like, okay, what is... You know, what's my body trying to tell me or what is my mind trying to tell me right now? Again, so to look below... Look underneath and try and find that root cause or invite someone like someone like me to help you find the root cause and sort of noodle around and just realize this is just part of life. And it might not be a counselor. It might be a pastor. It might be a good friend who's a good listener. I mean, it doesn't always have to be a professional, but, you know, sometimes it's easier because no one else knows. <laughs> yes, it's, they can be... Um a little more objective. And yeah. sometimes I think people are more willing to really get things out in the open if they know there's no consequence, so to speak. Like you said, yes. expectations and judgment. And right. so I, I know I've walked, I'm going to walk away from this discussion with many, many tools and thoughts. Um, please tell me before we wrap things up, what do you, you've got the microphone now, Peg. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel parents, grandparents, caregivers, what, what do they need to really know? What do you, what do you, what would you like to tell them that we haven't already talked about that is going to help just the whole family, like you said, just pause and reflect and, and, and really make it um, better for themselves as well as their families? Well, that's a big task. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think that we need to remember that our job as adults is to ensure safety in our children, emotional safety, physical safety, you know, safety in our environment. And that ebbs and flows throughout, throughout the developmental stages of their lives. But one of the things that, that, that really is that underlying um, angst that has happened to all of us is our sense of safety had, had really been disruptive in this sort of new world pandemic era. Mm -hmm. And maybe we haven't been able to name that to this. Many of us haven't thought of it in that way. But, you know, what, 
there, there was a threat to our lives that was happening mm-hmm. and it was uncertain. And so that creates an unrest and a sense of safety that they can, sometimes we see the symptoms of anxiety and distress and depression that we, you see in your practice and I see in mine, right? But we see in other people that we love just that are sidelines to us. So trying to figure out how to restore that sense of safety, talking to your children, talking with your children, listening more than talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, that two ears, one mouth. Yeah. Put life lessons aside right now and just invite your child and also notice how they communicate with you. You know, are they, what are they trying to tell you through their behaviors? Um, developing healthy coping methods. You know, I hear so many people who have relied on, Adults who've relied on Wine Wednesdays to get through the pandemic <laughs> or whatever we're calling it that's kitschy and cute. But, you know, when we take a step back, like, what are we modeling for our kiddos? So healthy coping, thinking about healthy mind, skills. body, spirit. You had said before, like, what are these things that we can change to enhance our overall wellness? I mean, I'm huge at looking at, again, those sort of systems, those environments that we surround ourselves in. And, you know, that too starts with us Um, inviting quality time together. And I mean, I just can't say enough about managing our own stress and in inviting healthy ways to do that. And healthy isn't a judgment. It is, it's a, it's a continuum, you know, of making small choices that can add up. Um, You know, we, we do what we do and we're doing the best that we can. Every and, day. And that's the reality. So give ourselves grace, but also, you know, challenge yourself to grow. What do I want to do and change and, and do differently too? And then watch how your family responds to that. Right. It's amazing. It is amazing because it, I, I always say it doesn't, it only takes one little shift. In, in graduate school, we did this great uh activity where everybody created a symbol for themselves and then we created a three-dimensional family mobile and where each was hanging down from a string like you would see over like a baby's crib right oh yeah and we would let it become still and then I'd invite someone to just push on one and they all move they all spin they all move right yeah so it just takes one that could disrupt the system but Mm -hmm. also it takes one that could lead the system in a different pattern. And, you know, it could be it could be a parent, it could be a child, whoever. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And I have invited Peg to come back. We're going to carry on our conversation about wellness and doing what we can as individuals to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to thank everybody again for listening. Remember, you can follow me on wherever you listen to your shows, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, for example, and let's grow up together.